You may recall if you were here last week, we began talking about revival, and we talked about the fact that revival begins with a realization or awareness of the need for revival in us. We talked about the fact that our world doesn't need a revival. Our world needs a resurrection. You see, it's the church that needs a revival. And when revival happens in the church, then a great awakening will spill into our city, and our city will come alive. Because the Bible says that without Christ, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we don't need just to kind of reform our lives if we don't know Christ. We need a brand new life. We need to be a brand new person. In fact, the Bible is very graphic that when you come to Christ, your old man dies and you become a brand new creation in the Lord. You're, you're a whole different person. You live in function out of a different realm, out of a different kingdom. You live in this practical world that we live in, but you're not limited by its resources. You have divine options in your life. You have resources. And really the abundant life that Jesus talked about is not about the Lord guaranteeing that my plans come to pass. The abundant life is me being able to get in on the work of the kingdom of what he's doing all around me and experience my life impacting others at a level that I could not normally humanly do. And, 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 and really the joy of participating with God in loving people and touching their hearts and changing their hearts, whether that be through kindness, whether that be through a conversation, sharing about Christ, whether that be laying hands upon the sick, whatever it may be, operating in the gifts of the Spirit, but introducing people to the living God, letting people know that God has their address. He sees them, He knows their need, He loves them, and He has power to meet their need. That's the abundant life that Jesus uh, calls us into. And we shared last week how it really doesn't make much sense. In fact, I'm sure it's an offense to the Lord that as we see our culture change, as we, think, as we see things kind of deteriorate, and today with so much fear and with so many social issues and sexual issues and just so much deception going on, that really it's not our position as believers to stand back and just kind of tisk tisk. We're not called to be intimidated by or fearful of. We recognize that many of these things are just the natural manifestation of evil having its way. But one of the reasons why evil has its way is because God is not having his way in the church. He's not having his way in the hearts of people. Because you see, when God has his way in people, when God revives us, when he brings his people back to life, then that life begins to be sheared wherever we go. We bring light into darkness. We don't just, you know, try to live nice lives and be good Christian people and, you know, try to, you know, talk different or whatever so somebody may notice. No, we actually carry Jesus wherever we go and we expect Jesus to show up and we actually look for opportunities to convey the kingdom, to share with people, to minister to people, to love, to, to live a different way because we are a, a different kind of people. And so revival is bringing the followers of Jesus back to life. Revival is also a renewed sense of our, our hunger for the presence of God in our lives. A revival is a renewed sense of our, of our sinfulness and our sin without the Lord and our need for repentance. And when we truly become aware of our sin, when we truly become aware of how full we are of ourselves, then we again begin to appreciate the power and the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ that is able to break sin in my life, that's actually able to cleanse me and, and set me free. These things become so real to us, again, so important. And, and most importantly, I think, as Christians, we realize, because John says in 1 John 4, 17, that as Jesus was, so are we in the world. We are Jesus in this world. We are literally Jesus in this world. That's why Jesus said, listen, everything I had when I lived and ministered in this world, I give to you. 
I didn't have some special battery pack, or I didn't have something, you know, that you're not going to have. You didn't understand. I laid aside all my divine priorities, and I lived like a man, yet without sin, for you to see that you can live by the same power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said time and again, he said, I don't do anything in my own strength. I do what the Father shows me to do. I do what the Holy Spirit enables me to do or does through me. Why? Because you are going to live the same way. You're going to be able to hear my voice. You're going to be able to walk with the Father in communion with Him. You're going to be able to turn right, turn left as He leads you through the day. And the Holy Spirit who lives in you is able to do things that you cannot do, just like I do. And so He wants us to know that that is His intention for us. But you see, what we need to come back to understanding when we talk about revival as the people of God is that the rate of change that takes place in me is going to determine the rate of change around me. So there's no point in me looking at, quote, the big bad world and, and, and starting to protect myself and pull back and, and how are we going to protect all these things we've always known and enjoyed as a Judeo-Christian society. And I know as the people of God, I need to look out there and see the brokenness and say, Lord, break me. That doesn't have to happen out there. Our city doesn't have to go that way. People don't have to be blind and deceived and broken. That doesn't happen. But it's going to happen until my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And notice the Lord adds, and turn from their wickedness. Who? My people. When they turn from their wickedness. When they begin to demonstrate that they don't need the things that those of Christ are seeking after, then those of Christ will realize they're fulfilled and even greater so, yet they don't have what we have. How do they do that? He says, when that happens, then I'll hear from heaven, and I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. Talking about this morning when God stirs the city, and I believe God is beginning to do that. He is stirring his people. And he's stirring the city. We're going to see exactly how he does that. We read the scripture this morning in Acts chapter 8. It's interesting, actually. You may have noticed it. You may not have. But you may recall that when Jesus left this world, before he did, he told his disciples and those who were following him a couple of things. He said, I'm going to the Father, but listen, all authority I've given to you. Now go in my name and preach the gospel. Everywhere you go, those who believe in me, do what? Cast out demons. Number one. Cast out demons. There's a whole lot of deliverance needed in our society today, even in the church. Cast out demons, heal the sick. The kingdom has come. Show the kingdom is here. He also said, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, if you know church history, you know that this book, we, this uh, incident we read of here in Acts chapter 8 actually happened several years after that. What that means is that Jesus told them what to do, but for the next seven or eight years, they just stayed in Jerusalem. It was comfortable. God was doing good stuff. They were having services. Things were happening. They stayed in Jerusalem. It took the Lord allowing persecution to rise up to actually get them to fulfill what he told them to do. It's no coincidence, the Bible says, and they went to Judea. They fled to Judea. They didn't go to obedience to the call. They fled to Judea. They fled to Samaria. They fled to the uttermost parts of the earth. But everywhere they went, what did they do? They talked about the Lord. Everywhere they went, they talked about Jesus. This morning, I want us to consider the impact that our lives have upon an entire community when Jesus actually gets to transform his own people. Probably the most significant event that we know of in recent history, or somewhat recent anyway, took place back in 1901. Pinky, remember those years? 1901. Where are you? I'm just teasing him. 1901. 
way back then. I'm only kidding, sister. You know that. But back in 1901, it seems like a long time ago, but think of it. It was only 120 years ago. Back in 1901, there was revival in Los Angeles, California, in a little mission house where people gathered to pray and to seek the Lord, located on Azusa Street. That little gathering was so significant is it not only stirred that city, it not only made the front news headlines and newspapers, but it also began to shake the entire world. But what was rather interesting about that event is that the Azusa Street Revival really only lasted in its peak about three years. And during those three years, about 13,000 people visited those meetings from different parts of the world, from, from Los Angeles itself, from the United States, from Canada, places near, places far. Only 13,000 people. And yet what God did in the lives of those 13,000 people, what he did through them as they returned back home, is still being felt today. And the reason Jesus moved in such power back then, and the reason he was able to sustain that move of God for about 50 years, is the same reason he still moves in regions around the world today, and it's very simple. The people of God were hungry for God. That's all. It wasn't complicated. The people of God were hungry for God. And whenever the people of God gathered together, whether in church, whether in the home, in some informal setting, their prayer was the same. It was, Lord, change me. Change me. I see what's going on out there. I see the dryness in your church, but Lord, change me. And the change that God makes in his people always results in a change in their community. Now, what is it exactly that happens through people like you and me that actually allows Jesus to begin to pour his love out into a community, to actually bring freedom in the community? Luke wrote in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the believers who had fled Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus. Philip, for instance, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about Christ. What is happening? Very simply. The people who love Jesus, everywhere they go, they simply talked about Jesus. Now, let me ask you this morning, do you do that? Do you talk about Jesus? Do you look for opportunities to engage people in conversations about the Lord? Why? Because the Lord is working in your heart. Because you are convinced that people actually need Jesus. That Jesus has something to bring to their lives, to bring to their situation. And that's what the early church was like. Regardless of the persecution, regardless of what they were going through themselves, the rejection they were suffering, they looked for opportunities to tell people about the Lord. You know, we sometimes kind of romanticize revival. When people talk today about revival or spiritual awakening, it's not uncommon for us to have these notions in our mind that, well, revival kind of means, you know, the church is full and, uh, you know, the big bad society out there is kind of, you know, settling back down, kind of normal. We can get on with living our lives. We're kind of the popular kids in town because, you know, God's doing neat things. We very easily forget our own history. Even as Pentecostal people, you look back at our history, even back to 60, 70 years ago, it was very common for, for people moving in revival to be persecuted. They lived in a time of, of intolerance, a time of, of hostility. 
They experienced their own suffering and sacrifice because of what it is that they wanted to see God do. And God began to change their communities one person at a time. And I believe the reason why is simply this, is because their primary concern was the needs of others. Their primary concern was the needs of the lost. It wasn't about them. It wasn't what was being taken away from them. It wasn't about the difficulties or the persecution or the ridicule that they might endure. They looked outside the church. They saw a society that was broken, that was hurt, and their hearts broke for their culture, broke for their neighbors, broke for their co-workers, and they actually cared about those who didn't know Christ. Their hearts broke for them. The church's first martyr actually was Stephen. Luke writes, he wrote the book of Acts, and he writes in chapter 6, verse 8 and 10. It says that Stephen, the man so full of faith and the Holy Spirit's power, did spectacular miracles among the people. So full of faith and the Holy Spirit's power. When I was looking into that, what was interesting is in the Greek language, the same phraseology was used to describe Jesus in John chapter 1, where the Bible says that he came full of grace and full of truth. And the significance of that is that we can read these words about Stephen and say, well, you know, Stephen was kind of like a super Christian. You know, he was just full of the Holy Spirit's power. He was full of faith. Well, he just kind of seemed to be a unique guy. And the Lord would say, no. No, it just means in the same way that Jesus came full of grace. He came with love. He came with concern for others. And he came with truth. He came with perspective. He came to say, I know this is the way you normally live, not working out quite well, is it? Here's how God's designed life to work. And he shares that truth. And that's exactly what the Lord calls you and me to. It's the same thing that Stephen did, and it can be said of us as well. Then it says in verse 10, none of them was able to stand against Stephen's wisdom and spirit. His wisdom and spirit. And that same model works today. What does that mean? It means that Stephen was simply a man like you and me who had a relationship with Jesus Christ, and through that relationship, he understood what life was about. God made life make sense. He understood what life was about. He was able to articulate why we're here. And you might say what the meaning of life is. And in the same way we know we live in a world today where many people can't articulate that. Many people wonder, like, what is life for? Why are we here? What's, what's the point of all that we're going through? Now we're talking potentially World War III, all that kind of stuff. What do we do? And here we are as the people of God who have the Word of God. In fact, we even have record of things that have yet to come to pass that we know are going to come to pass. And even now we're starting to see the reverberations of those things. And what did Jesus say? He said, I've told you these things in advance, so when they happen, your hearts aren't filled with fear. And not only are you at peace, even though it may be a difficult time, but you're able to look at people around you and say, hey, hey, you want to know what's going on? Come here. Sit down for a minute. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Let me share with you what is going on. Let me, let me encourage you. God is in control. God is that ark. And if you, will, if you will hide yourself in him, if you will come into a relationship with him, you can be at peace in the midst of this storm as well. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose even for the world and what seems to be chaos around us. Now, what's interesting is that Stephen is rejected, but he's not rejected by those in need. He's rejected by the religious. And I find that really interesting. And I want to encourage us, and I also want to caution us, because as we pray for, Lord, work revival in me. Lord, 
Help me to prepare myself, to align myself with you and what you are doing so as you, as you are prepared to move, then you can find me as someone who's ready to move with you. That as we do that, you're going to discover that, you know, sometimes the Lord will move in ways that we may not feel comfortable with. We, we may see him begin to do some things or loosen some things up. We kind of go, I'm not really used to that. I haven't seen that. You know, that person looks kind of crazy. Or church isn't kind of like, you know, an hour and a quarter and we're out of here, whatever. Like there's stuff going on. Things look kind of hairy. In fact, what I find interesting is when you study revival is oftentimes the people who are persecuting those experiencing revival oftentimes are the denomination or individuals who last experienced revival. In fact, I got to say, when God was moving by his spirit in some places around our own nation, going back 30 years ago, it was really interesting. While many people, many Pentecostals were excited by what God was doing, and, and there was, yes, some crazy stuff. There always is when you get the flesh involved, but there was a whole lot of supernatural stuff. I found some of the greatest persecution came from Christians, from Pentecostal Christians. Oh, that's not how God does that. No, that's not how he did it in our history, you know? Oh, well, what's he doing? What's he doing in your life? Well, nothing, but, you know, that's not how he did it 50 years ago. You know, and that persecution comes. Why does it come? Because the generation that once experienced revival or was known to experience revival begins to believe they have a corner on the Holy Spirit. And therefore, God is going to move in a way that they expect, in a way that they're comfortable with, oftentimes in a way that's not going to upset the apple cart, upset their lives. It's just going to kind of dovetail with their lives and just kind of make their lives a bit more happy in, in the Holy Spirit. And the Lord says, no, 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 you, you, you have all of me or you have none of me. And if you don't want me, then I'll find somebody else who's hungry. And he'll begin to stir there. It doesn't mean you can't get in on it, but he'll begin to create jealousy in your heart to make you realize you don't have him. And my prayer has often been, Lord, move in us. Lord, let revival happen here. But if it doesn't, then pass us over and start somewhere else. But for the sake of the city, for the sake of the lost, Lord, let revival happen in the midst of your people. I really want to encourage us, especially anyone here today who may feel that stirring a revival in their own heart, I want to encourage you to be willing to move to that next level in God's strategy to impact our city, impact our region. And that is to talk about Jesus wherever you go, despite the potential of being embarrassed. I'm, I'm going to pick on Bernice again. I shouldn't have picked on her the first time. She looks like she's 45. But uh, Raymond, uh, one of our board members, was talking a couple weeks ago about how he's just walking on the path. We have this great walking system, you know, in our city, uh, these beautiful paths around the city. And he's walking. I think he had his hood up or something, just kind of walking with his head down. And this lady comes up to him. And I can't remember the exact words. She could tell me better, but, you know, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus loves you? And he looks down and says, Bernice, it's me, Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you, everywhere Bernice goes, look out. She's looking for people to talk to about Jesus. Amen? And you know why? Because Jesus is real to her. Because she loves Jesus. And when you love someone, what do you do? In the old days, oh, comes the wallet, all the pictures. You know, now it's the iPhone. You know, you want to see my grandchild? And you look, and on the top it says, one of 1,000. You know, kind of thing? You don't mind. You, oh, cell phone. That's right, Matthew. 
But you look for opportunities, right? You look for opportunities to talk about the person that you love. And that's what it is. You see, we're talking about revival. It's not something we said last week that God just sends. Revival is something God works. It's when his people say, Lord, I confess. Like you said to the church in Ephesus, I love you, but I don't love you like I first loved you. I don't really love you in a way that, that I want to talk about you a whole lot. I mean, I'm not embarrassed if somebody else brings the conversation, but I'm not really looking for opportunities. I'm not making those opportunities happen. I'm not just wherever I go saying, Lord, you know, drop something in my heart for somebody and I'll be, I'll be glad to share it. And I just want to encourage us this morning that we be a people who, number one, say, Lord, begin to change me. Let revival come to me. Lord, I want to begin to talk about you wherever it is that I go. Luke says that there was breakthrough in Samaria because everywhere they went, they preached the good news, he said. Now notice, they didn't have a Bible, right? But what did they do? They just talked about Jesus. They said, I just got to tell you what Jesus did in my life. And the rest was history. Well, not only did the people make an impact, but their gatherings made an impact as well. And the reason the gatherings made an impact is because people invited other people to places where God was moving. We read in verse 6, crowds listened intently to what Philip had to say because of the miracles that he did. And the, place that, the reason that they came to places where God was moving was because they encountered people in whom God was moving. They wanted to join them. They wanted to go to that place. Do you realize the average person, when they just drive by a church, they have no idea what goes on in here? They'd be scared to death to walk through those doors. I mean, honestly. You know, there's some organizations or some other denominations that I don't have a clue what they do behind those doors. I don't plan to go in there and have those doors closed behind me and have no idea what's going to go on or how I'm supposed to act, right? It's really awkward. But when I encounter somebody and I see that Jesus is real to them and how he affects their life or maybe affected my life through them, then all of a sudden I just feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, I'll go there with you. Yeah, I'll go check out that meeting with you. Why? Because they encounter people in whom the Lord is already moving. Now, what was happening in those meetings? Yes, people were being healed. People were getting set free. People, you know, they were seeing incredible miracles. But I believe the most important thing is much more fundamental than that. What they were seeing is that the status quo was being shattered. And what I mean by that is that people, Christians, were fed up with giving the devil a place in their life. They were tired of the enemy controlling things in their lives. They were also sick and tired of seeing the destruction of the powers of darkness in their community. And they wanted to do something about it. They believed that they were called to be watchmen in their community. They understood the power of prayer. They understood that the reason things were happening in their culture wasn't because it's just some big bad culture and they're out to get the church. The reason it was happening is because the devil comes to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. That's why he comes. And we as the people of God have the authority and have the mission to actually stand on the wall of our cities in prayer and say, no, 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 you don't come in here. Or, no, 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 you don't stay here. You have to leave. And that comes and happens when there are people of God who stop living on the defense, who understand that the kingdom of God has come. We have the authority to expand the kingdom of God. It may not happen overnight, but it happens one person at a time, one life at a time. And then this place closes, that place closes, this place opens, whatever. Life begins to replace death. And an entire community has changed. 
I won't go into great deal, but I believe there is a real special call in the city of Moncton. I don't believe Moncton is just a retail hub. I'm so glad that we've got Costco and all those other places. You have to drive a little distance. That's always convenient. That's always nice. We all do our Costco run, right? Even we don't need to. You know, I got to buy gas, and I come back with like $300 worth of, you know, whatever. You know, I got 20 of them, but, you know, Alex or Ben need it one, so you never know. We'll use them someday. So whatever. We get all this wealth, you might say, at our fingertips. But in the same way, I believe spiritually we are a hub in this region. We are a place of watershed. I really believe that, that what God can do in our city through his people is not going to just be for our church. It's not going to be just even for the city of Moncton itself. It is going to be just washing into the Maritimes and certainly into our own province. The Lord has given us a wonderful opportunity, and I believe he's calling us because of great things that he wants to do. Well, we see in the book of Acts again that, that that status quo was being shattered because people began to expect the kind of things that Jesus promised. And because they expected it, they began to experience those things. You know, for those who may be old enough to remember, there was a time even here in Moncton when, when Christians were just hungry for God. And they were so hungry to be filled with God that they couldn't wait from Sunday to Sunday. They enjoyed coming to church. They worshiped the Lord. They met with the Lord. But through the week, they were looking for a prayer meeting somewhere. I mean, there was prayer meeting at the church, but they were also looking for gatherings at homes. They were looking for what they called cottage meetings, where people would come together and just have fellowship and, and worship a bit, see what the Lord would do, and, and just experience his presence in a fresh new way. In fact, it was a day back then when there was a whole lot of maybe pleasure. I mean, there's always recreation in the world, but it wasn't like today saturated. But people came together because their entertainment, you might say, was just seeing God move. And the beautiful things that God would do, and they, they would go home talking about those things and be caring about those things in the office. I was, I was sharing with the uh, folks in the first service. I remember when I first came into Pentecost Circles, it was back in the early 70s, just a young teenager. And uh, I didn't know a whole lot about anything. We kind of grew up in, in a nominal faith at church, and I, I always had an awareness and appreciation for the Lord. But it was just kind of like Sunday to Sunday, and I never really saw the Lord work, you know, in very special ways through the week. And, and I can remember that somebody in the church said, hey, is your place available? We got some people over that way. We just love maybe in the middle of the week, come together to the house, and who knows, just fellowship and, you know, worship a little bit, see what the Lord wants to do. Well, it was in that setting, in our home group, here I am, like 13, 14 years old, and, and I would see people getting healed. I would see people having words of knowledge for, for one another and just speaking into their lives. It was the first time I'd ever seen someone who was demon-possessed being set free. And I distinctly remember that night, and this is not an exaggeration, I told folks in the first service, I remember we had this lady on the floor, we were worshiping, she's slain, and, and just begins to manifest, and they're just praying over her, and just casting out demons, and my friend calls, my best friend, hey, you want to go out? <laughs> no, no, I'm good, no, no, we got, this is fun, you got to come over, you got to come see this, you know, and he would come over, and he, you know, he wasn't a Christian, but it made for good conversation after but, uh, he was, you know, he wasn't a believer at the time, you know, a good kind of living guy. But just to see the power of God and see this woman completely set free, her countenance change, and just the joy of the Lord. See, those were the kind of things that, that happened. Why? Because God's people met together and expected it to happen. Jesus said, for those who believe in me, in my name you will. Number one, you'll cast out demons. He says, why are you getting your knickers in a knot about that? What's so big, you know, what's a big deal about that? Casting out demons. We're spiritual beings. We live in the spiritual realm. It's normal. That's normal. Wherever you go, if one shows up, don't freak out. Just stand in your authority, cast it out, move on. 
That's who you are as the people of God. We're meant to go wherever we go and set people free with the gospel of Christ. But we have to be a people, once again, who get off the defensive. We've got to stop looking at the deterioration of our culture and somehow think it means that the big bad world's against the church. No, people just live in darkness. People do the things they do because they can't see any options. Right? I mean, what, would I, what, you know, what kind of person would I be if I mocked a blind man? You know, for stumbling through and hitting himself, you know, banging his knee in the furniture. If you walked into my house for the first time and all the lights were off. Well, of course it's going to happen. You don't know where you are, where you're going to go. What do you do? You turn the light on. That's it. And once you turn the light on, remember when you first came to Christ? It's like the light went on like, wow, that makes sense now. I understand now. I can't believe I used to believe that way. Why? Because now you have options. You didn't have those before. That's what the Lord wants to remind of us. I don't know where I am. I've got to wrap up. But I'm so encouraged that I believe we're seeing that same kind of hunger stirred today in God's people. We're seeing that same desire to come together, to meet with God, to worship, to, to see the Lord grow us, to pray for our city. There's an expectancy that God is rewarding with experience because as people understand that his promises are not meant to be just options. His promises are an invitation to come and dine. Here's the invite. It's all here. It's all for you. Come and have your fill. Come expecting to receive. And that's basically what Luke said. And in fact, Luke tells us that so many people received Jesus that there was much joy in that city. Much joy. There's other things I can say here I'm going to wrap up, which is a simple testimony. But I want us to remember, as we see in the book of Acts here, everywhere Christian went, Christians went, they talked about Jesus. Number two, they invited people to places where God was moving because he was moving in them first. And number three, the cities began to be stirred and began to change. I've, I've shared the stories of a, of a lady named Terry Spencer. Uh, Terry's involved with Love Says Go. She's just one of the uh, online administrators. But uh, she's actually going to be with us in September. We have Jason Chin and Chad Gonzalez come with us the week after Labor Day. And uh, uh, Terry's going to come. It's her first time actually being invited to a conference. But she just, she's such an encouragement if you read her Facebook posts once in a while. But she's just a, a simple lady, a single mom. She, she has a couple of kids, and, and she has a grown son who has, uh, who, uh, has special needs. And uh, just a simple woman who just loves the Lord, wants to be used by the Lord. And actually, she's going to be talking to us about how to, how to hear God's voice and, and how to actually initiate conversation or ministry in the everyday marketplace. But this is just one of her stories that she posted. It just happened last week. Here's what she says. Oh, my heart. If you ever talk to her, she has a strong Mississippi accent, so that's what I hear when I read this. She says, oh, my heart. I stopped by a dollar store on my way home to pick up a few things. As I was headed for the door to go in, my attention was drawn to a lady putting her bags in the back seat of her car, and I felt that familiar nudge. At the same time, a date came to my mind for a split second and left. I've walked with the Lord long enough now to know not to dismiss that, as easy as it is to do sometimes. So I decided to go over and ask her about it. I told her, I know it may sound strange, but asked if this date meant anything to her. She said, yes, it's my grandson's birthday, but she didn't say anything else. I then told her I had gotten it from God and that usually when he gives me things like that is because someone is going through something. I told her I don't know her circumstances, but I feel like God wants her to know that he has been there the whole time and has never left. That she may have felt like he abandoned her, but he didn't, and he loves her very much. At that point, she is nodding her head and crying. 
She said she needed to hear that because she was upset with God, wondering where he was and even questioned his existence. She said the grandson, whose birthday that it was, was in the children's hospital and has been there for a year and a half on life support. He's only a year, and a, a year rather. He's only a year and a half old. Oh, my goodness, my heart broke for her. I asked her if I could pray for her, to which she put her hands in mine so fast it took me by surprise. So we prayed right there in the parking lot. She then got to talking about God and had more conversation on that. She let me know that she lives in another town and didn't come to my town to go to the dollar store. What she had come for wasn't in the other store, so she came here instead. She said she feels like God set that up, that she was meant to come here and hear that. I so love how God orchestrates things like that. He's so good. I am home now reflecting on it all. God never ceases to amaze me at how he's pursuing our hearts always. Even when we are mad at him, even when, he, when we say he doesn't exist, he never stops loving us, and he never gives up. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning, in all seriousness. Do we really believe that God can stir our city? Do we really believe that God can work revival in his people and that God can bring a great awakening to our region? I've got to be honest with you. You know, sometimes I can get caught up in the things we see in the media. I can get caught up in some of the social issues because my heart breaks for the deception and the, the bondage that people get into when they buy into so many of these lies and deceptions. But if I'm not careful, I can get consumed with that and almost think that's where my fight is. Now, we need to stand for truth and do that with love and grace, but we've got to always remember where the real power source is. The real power source, right, is when my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and they seek my face. And what else do they do? They turn from their wicked ways. In other words, they stop doing the things that those who are lost are doing. They start to live as the people of God. They start to live in a way that people see that their joy, their entertainment is not in the lewd-based pleasures of our culture and those things. Our entertainment is in the kingdom of God. The power of God manifests. Hearts and lives being touched by the love of God. Lives being changed and set free. That's our joy. That's what excites us more than anything else. And he says, when my people do that, I will forgive their sin. And what's the natural product of that? then I'll begin to heal the land. What's he saying? When I have my way with my people, then I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will fill this place. He will fill his people. And then that river, just like Ezekiel talks about, will go out from under the doorways, into the streets, into the paths, into the neighborhoods, into the city. And I believe with all my heart, my friends, it won't just be people that we witness to. Because not only do we experience revival and, and witness in the marketplace like Terry did, but we're also on our knees and praying for things that we don't see. And just like revivals of old, I believe we'll begin to hear in the middle of the night people in the city just calling out to God, crying out to God, not understanding why, but just an awareness of God, an awareness of sin, an awareness of their need for a Savior, something we could never convince people of in a thousand years. But just God is able now to move freely because the people of God, amen, our churches are full of people, full of God. Revival begins with us, amen, and it revives in people who understand and whose primary concern 
is there's a lost and dying world that needs Jesus. And our heart needs to break for them too. We just Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. For full services, head over to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's happening here at GT. God bless.